0: Welcome to our 20th episode of Two Tankers and a Cat. We are your hosts, i um, Charlie. And this is Russell. Well, Russell, I hear we've got some good announcements this episode. Yeah, we sure do. Our Patreon and even our PayPal's going up and we really appreciate everybody's, you know, support and we're just so pleased with everything. I mean, we went international and we've got thousands of followers and this is... This is just great. It is. I mean, I, it's well beyond my
1: expectations, to be honest with you. And just so grateful for all the folks out there that's, that's donating and helping this stay alive. I mean, it, it really means a lot to both
0: of us. Absolutely. I know we got a PayPal from a friend of ours. Didn't we go up to Montana and see him? Kurt? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Curtis Kramlich. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, uh, one of the Best uh, World of Tank players that I've ever met is in-game name is Cowboy MT, but on Patreon uh, we've got the two-dollar Stewart support, the five-dollar Sherman, and the eight-dollar Abrams, and we've had just people just we've got to give some shout-outs to those guys. Oh yeah, we do. I think Andy Coe, or is it Crow? Crow looks like Andy Crow at the uh, Stewart level, and then we got Kevin Shin. He's from Canada and. He's, he's a fantastic tanker, and he's really involved, uh, but he's originally from China, and he moved to Canada. So, um, sweet. He knows how to play Chinese tanks, that's all I'm going to tell there you. There we go. But uh, he's in Abrams. Yeah, um, he's yeah. at the Abrams level. Um, we also have another, uh, Kyler Montgomery. Yeah. Uh, Kyler Montgomery. He comes in at our Abrams level again. And I think he's from Texas. God bless Texas. Oh, I know. (laughs) I I would agree with that. Me and uh, Russ had went down to Fort Hood, wasn't it? Or Fort Bliss? Fort Hood, yeah. Fort Hood down in Texas. If you guys have not been to Fort Hood... It, it is just an amazing place you need yeah. to go see their tank displays
1: and-, and i'm really looking forward to doing a special on that here hopefully in the next two or three months everything's getting kind of busy and hectic all at once but yeah um hopefully in the next two or three months we'll have a short little video episode on on fort hood and our experience of getting on base there and getting on and seeing their two museums
0: Oh, absolutely! Very
1: well worth the trip down
0: there. And then one of my one of my boys, uh, Rick Schmidt, he uh, follows the live stream when we're uh, gaming. And Rick is just one of those guys. He's uh, got his deck. He, he built a little gazebo, and he'll sit out there with his um, cigar and a little alcohol, and sit out there and play tanks. And yeah, you know, nothing wrong with that at all. And he makes fun of me every time I get hit by artillery. Yeah, yeah. He's like, ah, ha, ha,
1: You're pretty easy to make
0: fun of, though. So. Oh, I am easy to make fun of. <laughs> you know, everybody makes fun of the fat kid. Um, and then we got uh, some guy who has, a, like, a gamer tag or... A, yeah, or it looks like he used his gamer tag on the... And it's ods Thero. Am he, I saying that right? It uh, looks like it, yep. And we wanted to give you a shout-out. We appreciate it. Yeah, he comes in at the... Stuart, Stuart level. Stuart. Yeah. Uh, we just... We're, we're so blessed.
1: Yes, we are very, very thankful you for you folks that are supporting us and means that you must like our content. So
0: yeah. And we're trying to yeah. get, get some good stuff out there. We get, we've been getting messages on Facebook and everything else. Uh, we had a guy from New Zealand said, Hey, why don't you do an episode on the New Zealand tank? And I'm like, you know what? I think we will. Yeah. If you guys haven't seen that, it is a strange looking little tank. <laughs> when we started this i had no clue it was going to get this big yeah i'll agree and and it kind of tell you where we're at um yesterday was july 4th and then earlier this week uh was tiger fest and uh friends of the show uh craig moore um ed sophie watt uh even rob cohen was up there in bovington and they were all like when are you gonna get up here and i'm like when we get a couple of thousand patreon <laughs> people <laughs> yeah. sending us out there or you know and read gamer uh, yeah. she she just found out about the show so that's a oh, bonus yeah. there yeah that's nice uh, yeah i'm kind of hoping some of the work we'll make it to bovington eventually i mean we'll get there if we can get wargaming yeah sponsor there we or go or somebody we will play your tank game. Just send us to Bovington. <laughs> I played already anyway. So. I know. We, but we don't play well. I know. I know. Um, we. I was live streaming the other night, and I had a, a wargaming staff employee message me, and they're like, "We appreciate you streaming our games, but could you play better?" And I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> Is that the key to you uh, know being famous? You know, like Quickie yeah, Baby, or yeah, must be Circumflex? and must be yeah. My personal hero is Sir Fosh. I, I watch <laughs> all his stuff, and I, I'm so scared that he's going to tune into one of my videos and go, "Wow, yeah. this guy's terrible," know, hey? and he thinks he's great. <laughs> I'm like, I I think I'm good. Uh, you know, he I had a guy actually say, "Have you played this game before?" and I'm like. I got 50,000 battles in this game. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about the Podbean website.
1: Yeah, I just kind of wanted to mention. Um, we was talking about some of our followers, followers and everything and how grateful we'll, we are for them. Last time I checked, we had about 37 followers on Podbean, on the Podbean website. If you haven't followed us on our Podbean, if you don't know, is where we uh, actually Upload our podcast to, so it's kind of the server that everything sets on. And if you just get on there and and follow us, it would help us a lot. Help get the word out that we are out there.
0: We've had what over four thousand downloads now. Yeah, I think it's and at
1: least forty-one or forty-two hundred. I think now the last time I checked. And it's worldwide.
0: Yes. Yeah. Wow.
1: And that's just off of Podbean itself. That's not including views on YouTube and all that stuff. So I, we're we're probably closer to 4500
0: right well um when i was live streaming on two tankers and a cat the other day we had 1400 people swing by and watch me fail at gaming nothing wrong with that on this episode today we're going to be talking about the panther tank and i'm going to kill this name it's the battle of mason jaw oh man how do you say it mackin joe mackin Owl. i don't know how do you say it Masi Jo or Masi Jo, something Masi. like that. Yeah.
1: Yep, yep. we we um, folks, we did try to figure out how to say it, but it's
0: <laughs> it's a little it's a little rough. Yeah. We have to uh, give you a trigger warning. Um, I know our European and some of our other international listeners don't understand, but um, in the United States, we have to give a trigger warning that could make people upset. We are going to be talking about the Panther tank, but we are. Going to discuss the 5th SS Panzer Division, uh, the Viking. Uh, It was recruited uh, from foreign volunteers uh, from Denmark, Norway, Sweden, Finland, Estonia, Netherlands, Belgium. They also had uh, the notorious Dr. Joseph Mengele. He actually served with the SS Division, Viking. Uh, during its early campaigns, uh, he served as a combat medic and was awarded the Iron Cross for saving two wounded men from a tank. So we got to give you a trigger warning. We are going to be talking about the SS, and we are going to talk about um, foreign volunteers. So and Doctor D- uh, Joseph Mengelein. and if you don't know who he is, he's the Doctor of Death. He did experiments at uh, Auschwitz, I think. So if that's not what If you think you're going to be bothered by this content, uh, please just listen to some of our earlier content. But we gave you your trigger warning. Uh, So the first point is going to be the Panther tank. The second point is going to be the Battle of Makanjau. And And, uh, the Battle of Makanjau happened during the Soviet offensive, which led to the Battle of uh, Korsin-Cheksia Pocket, which took place from the 24th of January. To uh, the 16th of February of 1944, its successful impl- implementation of the Soviet deep operations, heard the end of the Soviet deep battle doctrine. You remember that, yeah. The breaking of the enemy's uh, forward defenses to allow fresh operational reserves to exploit the breakthrough uh, by driving into uh, strategic depths of the in- enemy front. The funny thing. About this big Russian offensive, or I'm I'm sorry, Soviet offensive. Craig Moore has told me over and over, quit saying Russian, it was a Soviet. And I'm like, yes, sir, thank you, and I apologize. But the reason they were able to make this big push is the Lend-Lease. They got a large number of American and British-built trucks and half-tracks that gave the Soviet forces, uh, forces much greater mobility than they ever had before. Well, Russ, let's get started uh, on one of the, I, my personally sexiest tanks in history. Now, I know a lot of people were like, oh, the Panther broke down and it wasn't very good. And I'm like, yeah, but it was cool looking. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the German Panther.
1: Yeah, the Panther is a German medium tank deployed during World War II on the eastern and western fronts in Europe from mid-1943 to the war's end in 1945. It had the Ordnance Inventory designation of sd KFZ-171. It was designated as the Panzerkampfwagen V Panther until February 27, 1944, when Hitler ordered that the Roman numeral V be deleted. Contemporary English language reports sometimes refer to it as the Mark V. The Panther was intended to counter the Soviet T-34 and replace the Panzer III and Panzer IV. Nevertheless, it served alongside the Panzer IV-4, and the heavier Tiger One until the end of the war. It is considered one of the best tanks of World War II for its excellent firepower and protection,
0: although its reliability was much less impressive. And we're going to get into the whole reliability thing. So the Russian T-34 was far superior to the Panzer III, and the KV-1s and KV-2s were just a little too much for the Panzer IVs. The Panzer III was their m- main push through tank you know they were going to you know lean in and when they ran into something thick they'd bring up the panzer 4 but all of a sudden these t-34s were just blowing holes and people said oh no 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 the panzer 3 which we've done an episode on was able to break through pretty easily but at that time it was due to training and the soviets would send out these t-34s without any support so these Panzer III's would run in, into these T-34s, and they would, you know, say, okay, we've got artillery and air power and everything else. We've ran it in, into these T-34s. Let's dump some artillery on them and some, you know, aerial attacks. But when the Soviets got their stuff together and started supporting the tanks, you know, with artillery and infantry and stuff like that, these Panzer III's were in a world of hurt. So they needed a better tank and they brought
1: up the Panther. The Panther was actually a compromise while having essentially the same engine as the Tiger 1. It had more efficient frontal hull armor, better gun penetration, was lighter and faster, and could also traverse rough terrain better than the
0: Tiger 1. got to remember, the Tiger 1 had flat armor in the front. It had a bunch of armor. It had like 4 inches, uh, what, 120 millimeters Mm -hmm. in certain spots of armor but the panther was very sloped and the gun the panther gun was a good gun for being what it was everybody says well the tiger had the 88 we're not saying anything negative against the 88 <laughs> i think could go through just about anything yeah. except the is2 well the is2 from the front you know we've talked about that good lord you know the panther was lighter mm-hmm. it could handle you know more different ty- terrain and could go Across the bridges that the tiger would just fall through (laughs) sure the trade-off was weaker
1: side armor which made it vulnerable to flanking fire the panther proved to be effective in open country and long-range engagements but did not provide enough high
0: explosive firepower against infantry so the panther was good in anti-tank you know Mm, fighting other tanks from the front But, you know, against bunkers and, you know, somewhere it's dug in in the city, the HE rounds just weren't very good. The Panther was far cheaper to produce than the Tiger I,
1: and only slightly more expensive than the Panzer IV. Key elements of the Panther design, such as its armor, transmission, and final drive, were simplifications made to improve production rates and address raw material shortages. The overall design remained somewhat over-engineered. (laughs) Well, The Germans over the engineering yeah, I'll something. Yeah, I imagine that. Yeah, yeah, yeah go ahead. Yeah. The Panther was rushed into combat at the Battle of Kursk, despite numerous unresolved technical problems, leading to high losses due to mechanical failure. Most design flaws were rectified by late 1943 and the spring of 1944, though the bombing of production plants, increasing shortages of high-quality alloys, Critical components, shortage of fuel, and training space, and the declining quality of crews all impacted the tank's effectiveness.
0: And that's what we're saying. The engineers at in 1944 had most of the problems worked out, you know, in the kinks, but could you imagine if they'd had the Panther like in 39 all worked out and had the crews and everything that they had already lost, but the allied forces were just bombing the crap out of the factories and just tearing them up and they were, they were running out of gas. they were running out of materials. Go ahead, Russ. I'm sorry. Though officially classified as
1: a medium tank, it's weight is more like that of a heavy tank. As its weight of about 44.8 tons puts it roughly in the same category as the American M26 Pershing, right, at 41.7 tons. Also, the British Churchill at 40.7
0: tons, and the Soviet IS-2 at 46 tons. So the IS-2 was, you know, this... Super Soviet uh, heavy tank at 46, but the Panther was still at 44 tons. That makes it tough, it, tough yeah. to get across the it bridges really and would, yeah. put on trains and everything else. The tank had a very high power to weight
1: ratio, however, making it extremely mobile regardless of its tonnage. Its weight still caused logistical problems um, such as the inability to cross certain bridges.
0: Yeah, we like we talked yeah. about. Now, we've talked about the rush of the panther to cursed and the fires, uh, before even getting there and the delay in the battle, uh, gave Soviets time to dig in and, and for the win, if you're pushing something that doesn't have the kinks out and then the big bosses say, Hey, don't attack now. And they're like, we really need, they know we're here. They're digging in, they're putting mines out. The rains are coming. And we're holding off for these tanks. Some of these Panther tanks, by the time they got there, well, headed out there, they they what had seven of them or something like that, just catch fire. Yeah. When they were driving there, so they really needed to get them the kinks worked out before they put them sure. in, in, into sure. such a huge battle or delay a battle because of it. Okay, Russ. I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead and tell us about the development and production.
1: The Panther was born. Out of a project started in 1938 to replace the Panzer II and the Panzer IV tanks, Uh, the initial requirements of the VK20 series called for a fully tracked vehicle weighing about 20 tons and design proposals by Krupp, Daimler-Benz, and Mann ensued. These designs were abandoned and Krupp dropped out of the competition entirely as the requirements increased to a vehicle weighing about 30 tons a direct reaction to the encounters with the Soviet T-34 and KV-1 tanks, and against the advice of the German Army Weapons Agency. The T-34 outclassed the existing models of the Panzer III and IV. At the insistence of General Heinz Guderian, a special tank commission was created to assess the T-34. Among the features of the Soviet tank considered most significant were the sloping armor, which gave much improved shot deflection, and also increased the effective armor thickness against penetration the wide track which improved mobility over soft ground and the 76.2 millimeter or three inch gun which had good armor penetration and fired an effective high explosive round
0: they're seeing this t-34 and heinz gadarian was their you know head tank guy uh, one of their uh, field marshals and he was like listen this sloped armor on this t-34 we need to put that into effect you know, our, our Panzer threes and our Panzer fours are just getting outclassed. And with their wide tracks, they were great for the Soviet snow and the mud. And the, it was just a way better tank. They were like, okay, we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to get something that's that can fight against these things and overpower them. Daimler-Benz,
1: which designed the successful Panzer 3 and StuG III, fabrik augsburg Nuremberg, AG. Which is man, which I mentioned earlier a well while ago, uh, we're given the task of designing a new 30 to 35 ton tank designated VK 30.02 by April 1942.
0: Now, the VK 30.02 uh, is actually in most of your digital games. So um, that's one of my favorite yeah, tanks to I play. Believe, I'll agree. Yeah. It, it was just a really good tank. If you go to uh, Tank Encyclopedia, and I'm hoping we'll. When the episode comes out we'll put some pictures of this but the vk 30.02 uh, db design it actually resembled the t-34 uh, its hull and its turret and also uh, was powered by a diesel engine it was also driven from a rear drive sprocket with the turret situated forward uh, the incorporation of a diesel engine promised increased operational range reduced flammability and allowed for more efficient use of the petroleum reserves, uh, Hitler himself considered uh, the diesel engine imperative. So for the new tank, D.B.'s for, uh, proposal used an external leaf spring suspension in contrast to the Mann's uh, proposal of a twin torsion bar. But the German engineering opinion was that the leaf spring spring suspension was a disadvantage and that using torsion bars would allow a greater internal uh hole width which like, uh, you know? they, they have a point it was uh, also opposed uh the rear drive because the potential for tra- track fouling Benz uh, still preferred the leaf springs over a torsion bar system as it resulted in a silhouette about 200 millimeters or uh, 7.9 inches shorter and uh, the rendered complex shock absorbers unnecessary. Uh, the employment of a rear drive provided additional crew space and also allowed uh, for a better slope on the front hull, which uh, was considered important in preventing Penetration by armor-piercing shell. So you know you've got some really smart guys working on this tank. It's basically based off the T-34. But uh, like I said, if you get a chance, uh, if you want to go look at the Tank Encyclopedia online. I know Craig and Ed and a bunch of other guys are editors on there, and they help keep that updated with uh, correct and. Yeah, they do. They. I mean, you can tell they have put a lot of work
1: into that they, website. They really it is, have. It's a very very good go-to.
0: Russ, go ahead and uh, tell us some more.
1: The MAN design embodied a more conventional configuration with the transmission and drive sprocket in the front and a centrally mounted turret. It had a petrol engine and eight torsion bar suspension axles per side. Because of the torsion bar suspension and the drive shaft running under the turret basket, the MAN Panther was higher and had a wider hole than the DB design.
0: Well, still not as tall as the... Uh, Lee. It's really not. <laughs> nope.
1: The Henschel firms design concepts for their Tiger One tank suspension and drive components using its characteristic format, large overlapping interleaved road wheels with a slack track using no return rollers for the upper run of track.
0: They, you know what, if you ever looked at the Tiger One, it's got a bunch of wheels. It does. <laughs>
1: it also features shared with Almost all German military half-tracks designed since the late 1930s and were repeated with the MAN design for the Panther. These multiple large, rubber-rimmed steel wheels distributed ground pressure more evenly across the track. The MAN proposal also complemented Ramital's already-designed turret modified from that of the VK45.01 and used a virtually identical Maybach V12 engine the tiger one heavy tanks
0: Maybach hl230 power plant model so basically you're putting the tiger engine in a t34 design it's it's pretty good idea right there on the suspension maybe not use the tiger suspension those rubber wheels I mean yes it did even out the weight make it a lighter tank to get across bridges and stuff that's a lot of wheels it is and and when they were damaged you spent hours yeah. Yeah. Taking off two to three wheels to get to one damage one. The two designs were reviewed from
1: January to March of 1942, and Reich Minister Tot and later his replacement Albert Speer both recommended the DB design to Hitler because of its advantages over the initial Man design. At the final submission, Man refined its design, having learned from the DB proposal apparently through a leak. By a former employee in the Wallproof Six, senior engineer Heinrich Ernest Neutkamp
0: and others. So, basically what we're saying is, man, uh, basically had got snagged one of the DV employees yeah. and said, Hey, what are they doing over here? And they kind of did it. He showed them their kinda design leaked and said... some information to him. yeah. Said, oh, okay. So, what did Speer have to say?
1: On March 5th, 1942, Albert Speer reported that Hitler considered the Daimler-Benz design to be superior to Mann's design. A review by special commission appointed by Hitler in May of 1942 selected the Mann design.
0: (laughs) Even though they kind of snagged their idea from
1: TB. Hitler approved this decision after reviewing it overnight. One of the principal reasons given for this decision was that the Mann design used an existing turret designed by Rheinmetall's borsig which the db design would have required a brand new turret and engine to be designed and produced and that would have delayed the commencement of production this time-saving measure compromised the subsequent development of the, of the design so basically
0: they're like we've got the turret we have already got a deterrent made yeah you know. and, and we've got this other we've got the engine let's just Go with this so we don't have to build all, all this brand new stuff. Yes. So I know Speer had a lot to say about the Panther. What's some of the stuff that he uh, did and wrote about? Yeah, Albert Speer recounts in his autobiography,
1: Inside the Third Reich, since the Tiger had originally been designed to weigh 50 tons, but as a result of Hitler's demands, had gone up to. 57 tons, um, they decided to develop a new 30-ton tank, whose very name Panther was to signify greater agility. Though light in weight, its motor was to be th- had been the same as the Tiger's, which meant it could develop superior speed. But in the course of a year, Hitler once again insisted on clapping so much armor on it, as well as larger guns, that it ultimately reached 48 tons, uh, the
0: original weight of the Tiger. So they had a pretty good design, and they had a uh, basically like the T-34. Sloped armor, good gun, quick tank, and... Hitler. But had, Hitler
1: had, loves his armor. He loves slapping more on there yeah, than.
0: Yeah. And they're like, okay, now we're all the way up to 48 tons, which is the original weight of the tiger. Now, if you don't know who Spear was, Spear was a basically the architect. Um, he built buildings and, and had a total new design for the you know, the fourth Reich and was going to build new buildings and government ministries and stuff like that. And Hitler thought he was a genius, you know, and the guy did know how to design some cool looking buildings. I've looked at his stuff. If you look at it, he had some really great, you know, designs. Um, he also got into the armaments and stuff like that. You you know what? Unfortunately, you can't do that when your city's getting bombed. Yeah. You know? <laughs> very, very very true. When you got Allied bombers hitting everything out there, you really can't build new buildings and stuff like that. Russ, let's talk about the production.
1: The Panther was the third most produced German armored vehicle after the Stug 3 assault gun tank destroyer at 9,408 units and the Panzer IV tank at 8,298 units. Now,
0: we talked about the Stug 3. Stug. Stug. Uh- Oh, I'm sorry. You've already Stu. Been, I, I, I. Yep, yep. He's correct. <laughs> I, I, I've been told a thousand I times. I have had yep. people send me, you know, links saying this is how you stay, say it, and I <laughs> always get it wrong. And, and there's a bunch of guys sitting around in uh, Bovington and that Wheeled fan foundation that are listening to this and they love we just need I, to
1: get over there and, and, and in person see how they pronounce it and i think that would help a bunch yeah
0: i think it really would especially if you got people like craig Moore yeah. smacking, <laughs> smacking me in the back of the head like no no but anyway yes <laughs> the, the stug <laughs> um uh salt three uh the tank destroyer we've uh, got an episode on if you uh Get a chance, you should go back and listen to that one.
1: Yeah, they actually made two of the prototypes, and they were designated the V one and the V two. And the dates on the prototypes was about September nineteen forty two. Uh, the OSF D they made eight hundred forty two of those between January nineteen forty three September nineteen forty three. And the Osif As they made twenty two hundred of those between about August of nineteen forty three to August of nineteen forty four.
0: They still had a few problems with those. Yeah. Having engine problems mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. Still ironing out the, the issues.
1: The of G, they made approximately about 2,961 of those between about March of forty-four and April of 1945.
0: Now, the G's is when they pretty much had everything worked out. There was a few little kinks, but the G was what we... Was the main... That's what May we expected. Oh, what a panther should yeah. be. Yeah, the beffels Panzer
1: Panther, uh, they made about 329 of those between May of 43 and April of 1945. They made one of the Baalbach Tongue Panzer Panther in 1944. And they made 339 of the Burge Panther in about 1943 to 1945. And that was about the end of the war. Yeah. The Panther production in 1944 by manufacturer, 35%. Of the Panthers were made by man. Thirty-one percent were made by Daimler-Benz, and thirty-one percent was also made by Maschinenfabrik, mm-hmm. and three percent was made by Niedersachsen Hanover and others. And others, yeah. The cost of a Panther tank has been given as about one hundred seventeen thousand one hundred Reichmarks. The Germans produced the Panther tanks between nineteen forty-three and nineteen forty-five. And in 1946, nine Panthers were
0: produced for the British Army. So basically when German, Germany lost, the British came in and they still had some of the Panthers on the assembly line, uh, and basically enough to make oh, na- nine of these Panthers I see. that they wanted to test out and stuff. I see, okay. Because you got to remember, uh, a lot of these Panthers, after the war, well, even during when France was liberated, they grabbed some of these Panther tanks. We even uh, got a, uh, I think we've got some pictures of when the British actually took one of the Panthers and was using it in, in actual combat against Germans. So, <laughs> but afterwards they built nine of these and basically they were just going to, you know, use them yeah, for tests and yeah. stuff like that. It was used for combat. So how many were actually, you know, close to be built Panther wise?
1: Yeah, the total number built was about 6,000. We already went through some of the variants earlier. And some of the other variants that I did mention earlier, Buffels Panzer, it was actually a command tank. The Baobach tungs panzer Panzer was the artillery observer. And the birch Panther uh, was actually an armored recovery vehicle. So that kind of gives you an idea on what some of the other variants were besides just the...
0: Right. So they're like, hey, yeah. we've got we're making these regular Panthers, but, you know, some of these we're going to need for artillery observation, recovery, and some command tanks. So what are, like, some of the specifications? Uh, we talked about the, how much they weighed earlier,
1: about 44.8 tons or 44.1 long tons. Uh, the lengths, length of the Panther was about 6.87 meters, which come out to about 22 feet 6 inches. Yeah, and the length of the Panther, including the gun... Was about eight point six six meters or twenty eight feet five inches.
0: Now, what what we mean by that is the Panther had an extremely long gun, and can you imagine that being in the forest and stuff like that? Oh, I don't know how they would do it. And, yeah, and you know, I mean, it was a great yeah. sniper gun, but it when it's sitting there trying to turn and head. I know throws. we talked about that the other day about in
1: game how hard that would be if your gun yeah in the world of tanks game if your gun actually was damaged y- yeah. running into a building or a tree or something i mean it's
0: or, or just turning yeah. down an alleyway and, and running in your gun would be hitting that you know yeah. walls and stuff like that yeah. so it would for the longer gun it would be harder
1: to maneuver keep from damage yeah. yeah the width of the tank was about 3.27 meters or 10 foot 9 inches and with the skirts that would have made it about 3.42 meters wide 11 foot 3 inches the height 2.99 meters high 9 foot 10 inches high
0: boy that is close to being getting closer to to the the lee to the m3 lee from the top from the bottom of the track to the very very top of the lee the panther was about that tall yeah so that kind of gives you a good idea Mm -hmm. how big this thing was it had a crew of five had a driver
1: radio operator slash whole machine gunner a commander a gunner and
0: a loader. So you got five people. crammed and, five people in there. In a nine-foot-tall tank. Yeah. Uh, I know. Okay, w- you've told me about the gun. What was the gun?
1: Main armament was one 7.5-centimeter KWK-42 L-slash-70, and they carried about 79 rounds with them.
0: <laughs> That's a lot of rounds. It is. So what, like, secondary armor did it have? They
1: had two 7.92-millimeter machine guns, mg34 machine guns with about 5100 rounds total so they had some armament in that thing uh, that, they really that, did. that didn't keep your infantry back yeah it had a v12 petrol maybach hl 230 p30 engine it kicked out about 690 horsepower of power out of that thing so
0: 690
1: horsepower That's I know. that's
0: pretty good that's quite a bit
1: is that what we mentioned was the same engine as the tiger tiger yeah yeah it had a power to weight ratio of about 13.77 horsepower per tonne that's not bad. Not bad at all. Transmission was a ZF AK7-200 had seven forward speeds and one reverse speed. Wow. It had a double torsion bar suspension with interleaved road wheels.
0: I still don't like the road wheels. I wheel. know. They're, they're, if you have to take off, yeah. You know, four wheels to repair one that's yeah. broken. You that's get, a lot of get time. Hit, you get I, hit with another
1: shell or, you know, or landmine yeah, or something. Anything. That, you're going to be down for a while.
0: That would be rough to fix yeah, out, especially if it was really cold or it was raining muddy. Oh, man, yeah. what a mess. Had a fuel capacity of 720 liters
1: or 160 gallons. The operational range on the road was about 200 kilometers, 120 miles. Or cross country, the range was about 100 kilometers or 62
0: miles. With a full tank of gas, you're you're moving. You're yeah. You're in a good sniper tank. All right, what kind of speeds are we talking about? Yeah, the speed was about
1: 55 kilometers an hour or 34 miles per hour on some of the first models. And then they kicked it down a little bit to about 46 kilometers an hour or 29 miles an hour in some of the later models.
0: Yeah, because they were putting on stuff that Hitler wanted. Hitler's armor that he wanted on it. Made what, a 30-ton up to a 40-ton? <laughs> Probably not a good idea. <laughs> Probably not a good idea. If it's not broke, don't fix it. I know. Um, we've talked a little about how uh, the British had taken nine of these Panthers off the assembly line and used them. Uh, and when I say used them, they didn't use them in combat. Now, the French did. Um, in fact, uh, I was sitting there... Watching the Tiger uh, Fest guys, they're like, hey, look, we got new French panthers and look at the camo and stuff like that. There's a uh, French tank museum. I always kill this name, Samoan or Samoa, but they've got uh, a panther out there that they've been you know, showing off and taking. So, you know, the French, you know they were there they were broke down or left behind so they grabbed them they used them you know the panther was a good tank at that point the the, especially the g models
1: yeah kind of getting into some of the combat use the first production panther tanks were plagued with mechanical problems like we had already talked about the engine was dangerously prone to overheating and it suffered from connecting rod or bearing failures they had gasoline leaks from the fuel pump or carburetor as well as motor oil leaks from the gaskets it produced fires in the engine compartment, which resulted in the total write-off of about three Panthers due to fires. And this was in February of 1943, during one of the very first, probably, combat uses. Yep.
0: So three of them burned down, just burned to the ground, probably, yeah, before they could even get to where they were going. If you're spending 117,000 Reichmarks, and you're sitting there watching it burn down, just trying to push to the front... Uh, you might have some problems.
1: The transmission and final drive breakdowns were the most common and the difficult to repair. A large list of other problems were detected in these early Panthers, and so from about April through May of 1943, all Panthers were shipped to Falkensee and Nuremberg for a major rebuilding program.
0: So they took all these tanks out, and they were losing them, and they were breaking down, and they were snapping apart. And they're like, listen, we need to send them all back, and you need to fix them. And so they had to go back to their little Panzer 3s and Mm -hmm. Panzer 4s. You know, you take a tank crew that's with the Panther, and they fire the gun, and they've got the armor, and then you take them out of that tank and stick them back in a Panzer 3, that's got to really play on your mind. And if I had
1: to guess, somebody probably paid dearly for... Some of these oh, issues. Oh, could you imagine, <laughs> you know,
0: Hitler's, you know, yeah. SS, you know, and the mm-hmm. Gestapo saying, why do we have to load up all these tanks and bring them back? Yeah. Somebody had a bad day.
1: Yeah, the rebuilding program did not correct all of the problems. So a second program was started at Grafenwar and Erlangen in June of 1943. Reliability finally improved with the OSF-A and later G of the Panther, with availability rates going from an average of 37% by the end of 1943 to an average of 54% in 1944.
0: Now what they're talking about is if you have 100% of your tanks moving from the factory to the battlefield headed out, 37% of them were actually at the battlefront ready to go. And that's what we talked about the M4 Sherman. You sent 100 tanks over there they were you you got yeah. 100 tanks in the they field already yeah they sent 100 to tanks and they had 37 ready to fight yeah yeah so even at the like you were talking about in uh, 1944 they're sending 100 percent of the tanks and only 54 percent are working the panther had problems that's some issues we're not making fun of it no. and we're not no. we love the look of the panther it it just wasn't mechanically yeah. reliable They never got it up to 100%.
1: By mid-1944, the Panther was at its peak performance and widely regarded as the most formidable tank on the battlefield. Now, I've touched
0: on the delay problems at Kirst. You know, they held off the battle until they got these Panthers and everything. And I, you know, touched on this. So Russ, when Hitler wanted to know about the Panther, what did Guderian, you know, report back to, you know, Guderian's there on the front lines. And they're sending these Panthers back, and Hitler's like, hey, I want to report. What did he say?
1: Yeah, it was not until June 23rd to 29th of 1943 that a total of 200 rebuilt Panthers were finally issued to Panther Regiment von Lockhart of the 4th Panzer Army. Two were immediately lost due to motor fires on disembarking from the trains. So
0: they get 200 of these things that have been rebuilt, and they're starting them up to get them off, and two of them burned down getting off the train. Surprised it didn't burn the train down. <laughs> no
1: doubt.
0: <laughs> by July fifth, when
1: the Battle of Kursk started, there were only 184 operational Panthers.
0: Out of 200 that they rebuilt and sent back, and now they're holding off, waiting. They're saying, "Don't attack, don't attack, till you get these Panthers." So by the time they get them up there, there's only 184.
1: And within two days, this had dropped to forty out of the 184 operational.
0: So now we're went from 200 all the way down to 40 tanks. Good lord! They were having issue after issue,
1: man. They're just on July 17th, 1943. After Hitler had ordered a stop to the German offensive, General Heinz Guderian sent in the following preliminary assessment of the Panthers. Due to enemy action and mechanical breakdowns, the combat strength sank rapidly during the first few days. By the evening of July 10th, there were only 10 operational Panthers in the front line. 25 Panthers had been lost as total write-offs, 23 were hit and burnt, and 2 had caught fire during the approach march. 100 Panthers were in need of repair, 56 were damaged by hits and mines, and 44 of those by mechanical breakdowns. 60% of the mechanical breakdowns could be easily repaired, and approximately 40 Panthers had already been repaired and were on the way to the front. About 25 still had not been recovered by the repair service. On the evening of July 11th, 38 Panthers were operational, 31 were total write-offs, and 131 were in need of repair. A slow increase in the combat strength is observable. A large number of losses by hits, 81 Panthers, up to July 10th. Which attests to the heavy fighting.
0: Yeah, you know, like like we said, 81 of them got into actual combat yeah. and got hit. But they're getting So hit. many more of them, though, taken out by mechanical issues. You know what? Over-engineering. Yeah. Putting on stuff that yeah. really didn't. And I know I've said it before. If they could have got that all figured out on
1: the majority of their armored fighting vehicles when they produced them, if they were top-notch from the start, things may have been different.
0: Yep. If they'd had that back in 39, yeah, it had the Panther worked out and all that, yeah, it would have been a totally different deal. They went through these issues with almost every one of their armored vehicles. So, by most standards, the Panther was a complete failure. Tell us about their use in the West against the Allies. We've kind of talked about the Battle of Kursk and how the Soviets were sitting there just watching them break down. And as soon as they'd shoot them once, they'd just break down and... Talk about the West, you know, when the Allies started coming.
1: At the time of the invasion of Normandy in June of 1944, there were initially only two Panther-equipped Panzer regiments in the Western Front, with a total of about 156 Panthers between them from June through August of 1944, an additional seven Panther regiments were sent into France, reaching a maximum strength of 432 in a status report which was dated July 30th of 1944.
0: Now, these are the 1944 Panthers, the ones yes. like the G's, the yeah. G's that they we were talking about had a, went up from 31% to 54% in the yeah. field. So, they're in there. And there's, what, a total of 432 of these? Yes. Wow. The majority of the German tank forces in Normandy,
1: uh, six and a half divisions, were drawn into fighting the UK and Canadian forces of the 21st Army Group around the town of... Cain. The numerous operations undertaken to secure the town became collectively known as the Battle of Cain.
0: Was it Kane or Khan
1: Khan Yeah, Khan Okay. While there were areas of heavy wooded bocage around Khan most of the terrain were open fields, which allowed the Panther to engage the attacking enemy armor at long range. Its combination of superior armor and firepower allowed it to engage at distances, but the Allied forces had M10 tank destroyers Sherman Fireflies and 17-pounder anti-tank
0: guns. So, the Canadians and the UK, or the 21st Army Group, started fighting them after they got out of head, head road country and some of these flat areas where the Panther excelled. The British had the M10s, tank destroyers, they had the Sherman Fireflies with the 17-pounders, and they had brought a bunch of 17-pounder anti-tank guns. The Panther, yeah, it was doing good, and it was a sniper gun, but the British were pretty much ready for sniping tanks too. You know, the Sherman Firefly and the M10 tank destroyers, even the 17 Uh, Pounder anti tank guns. They'd take out these Panthers. The UK forces had the RM10s. We were making these M10s, but they were upgunned with the powerful 17 pounder. So they got the Firefly, which everybody knows was a great, you know, you know, tank killer. But then they brought these M10s that were sneaky and light, and they put 17 pounders on those. And uh, the 17 pounder version was uh, basically called the Achilles. uh, The Troops didn't call it the Achilles, but it was kind of like designated by the uppers. Um, The 17-pounder M10s conversion were designated various ways uh, with a C suffix uh, added on to the M10. If they had the 17-pounder, it would be like the M10C for the British. You know what? They were were sniping these Panthers and killing them. So, you know, pretty fair fight there. Yeah, in the meantime, the U.S. forces facing one
1: and a half German Panzer divisions, mainly the Panzer Lehr division, struggled in the heavy, low-lying hedgerow terrain west of Caen. Like the Sherman, the Panther struggled in the hedgerow country of Normandy and was vulnerable to side and close-in
0: attacks in the built-up areas of cities
1: and small towns.
0: Now, we've talked about this, that the Panther was, what, 28 feet long with the gun, and if you're in hedgerow country and you're in trees and you got these little Shermans buzzing around going through the forest or buzzing down the alleys of you can't if you're caught in an alley, you can't turn that down. Yeah. Back. Yeah. If you're in a hedgerow country, that gun's not gonna turn out no. and uh-uh. all of a sudden You're the, getting
1: shot in the sides in the ass and, and you're done.
0: And, and people are like, Well, how are these Shermans with these seventy fives and, and these one oh fives killing these panthers well they were they couldn't turn their guns and they were you know getting shot up the tailpipes yeah <laughs> and, you know get hitting the sides where they were vulnerable uh-huh. but again they couldn't turn their guns. if you're in a heavy forest with big trees or even little bitty shrubs if you got a little 105 you're shooting he you're gonna really destroy a panther the commander of panzer Lair division general fritz
1: Bayer Lane reported on the difficulties experienced by the Panther tank in the fighting in Normandy. While the Panzerkampfwagen four could still be used to advantage, the Panzerkampfwagen IV, the Panther, proved ill-adapted to the terrain. The Sherman, because of, of its maneuverability and height, was good, and the Panther was poorly suited for hedgerow terrain because of its width, long gun barrel, and width of the tank reduced maneuverability in village and forest fighting. It is very front heavy and therefore quickly wears out the front final drives made of low grade steel. Also had a very high silhouette. It was very sensitive power train requiring well trained drivers and it had weak side armor. The tank top was vulnerable to fighter bombers. Fuel lines of porous material that allowed gasoline fumes to escape into the tank interior causing a grave fire hazard and also had an absence
0: of vision slits. Which made it defense against close attacks impossible. The Americans are pushing through the forests, And and this guy's writing back. He's like, listen, our gas lines are letting fumes into the crew cabin. That is crazy. Probably not a good idea. No. And, you know, so the crew's huffing gas fumes. Which, you know, they had to open up their hatches. And, And that's a really bad idea. Especially when the bombers and fighter bombers are, you know, going by. So you've got all these problems. Well, they definitely couldn't light up their smokes inside, that's for sure. <laughs> hey, Bob, <is> that, or <laughs> hey, Brit, send me a cigarette, you know, maybe not a good idea.
1: Through September and October, a series of new Panzer brigades equipped with Panther tanks were sent into France to try to stop the Allied advance with counterattacks. This culminated in the tank battles around Aracourt in September of '44, in which the mostly Panther-equipped German forces suffered heavy losses in fighting against the 4th Armored Division of Patton's 3rd Army. The Panther units were newly formed, poorly trained, and tactically disorganized. And most units actually ended up stumbling into ambushes against
0: seasoned U.S. tank crews. These are some of the tank crews that fought in Italy, uh, North Africa. They know what's going on, and they're putting, I hate to say it, old men in Children in these panthers or very untrained crews, and the panthers are having all these problems, and they're telling them to attack. If you get a chance to look at the Battle of Aircourt, it was it was just a massacre on their side. It made the Sherman tanks and and the M10s look like they were awesome. <laughs> well, Russ, I know we're running late at time, and we're having so much fun talking about this, but let's get to the Battle of Maciejow. How yeah, the Battle of
1: Makanjau is one of many forgotten tank battles on the Eastern Front. The Panther tanks of the 5th SS Panzer Regiment were defending the area of Makan- Makanjau when the Soviet 11th Tank Corps attacked with two brigades. It had been quiet in Kavil sector for eight days. The Soviet efforts slackened noticeably, and there were rumors that the Red Army was preparing a major offensive. The high command of the German armed forces were convinced that it was going to come in the Kovel ternpol area and no one knew that this was an elaborate ruse on the part of the Soviets. They had simulated a massive buildup by running numerous empty trains into this area. As a result, the German command decided to launch a major assault to clear the situation in the Kovel area. The attack, which was provo- proposed by German Feldmarschall Model, required significant tank forces, a total of 8 panzer and 2 panzer Grenadier divisions. The 5th SS Panzer Regiment Wiking was withdrawn from Fortress Koval and was moved to Makijau
0: as Corps Reserve. Basically, the Soviets are thinking there's going to be, you know, the Germans need something to concentrate on where they think they're going to have their attack. They tricked the Germans into thinking it was going to be at Koval. So they went, you know, and started preparing and getting ready because. The Soviets were bringing in all these empty trains and queuing them back and forth. And basically their scouts and everything and spies were saying, the Soviets are bringing a bunch of trains in. They're unloading a bunch of stuff. You guys are going to get hit in this Koval area. So they're like, well, we're going to need a reserve. So they got the 5th SS Panzer, the Viking. And they said, okay, we're going to take you guys out. And we're going to put you in uh, Makanjau uh, area. And I think it's by the Bug River. I think it's called Bug River. That's where Machinjo is close to. They put them there, and they're like, okay, okay, you're our reserve. So we get in a big fight. You're going to come in and be the cavalry. So they put them down there. But what they didn't know is the Soviets were planning to just force their way through Machinjo. So the SS uh, panzer commanders, like, down there, thinking he's gonna be reserve, and then he's starting to notice, uh, I think they're gonna hit us here. And of course, German command saying, no, they're, they're not gonna hit you down there.
1: The Soviet offensive began early on the morning of June 22, 1944. The Germans were taken completely by surprise and all remained quiet in the Koval area. This was exactly the opposite of what the German command had predicted. The experts had made a fundamental miscalculation and no way was Koval the beginning of the Soviet offensive. The LVI Panzer Corps moved into their old quartering areas near Makijao, creating Battle Group Mullenkamp, who would remain in the Makijao area to cover German withdrawal movements. They
0: finally figured out that it's not going to be there. They send the LVI down basically with the 5th Panzer. And they're starting to fall back. And they're like, oh, they're they're going to hit somewhere else. So they're trying to move to a safer spot to find out where the Soviets are going to hit. And then they'll bring their forces up to counterattack. So they're still moving and shoveling and everything. And these guys are stuck in Mokinjau. Like going, uh, wait a minute. (laughs) Something's wrong here. General Mullenkamp's job is to hold the enemy
1: until the infantry has reached the new line and dug itself in. Hans Mullenkamp now had a clear picture of the situation, and it was a situation that was desperate. Battle group Mullenkamp received the following radio message. Maximum readiness. The enemy will probably soon begin its breakthrough attempt at this spot. Days earlier, Muhlenkamp had reported to General Hossbach, the terrain facing our front, which is considered too swampy for tanks to cross, has been drying up so much that the tanks can drive 100 meters further every day. A surprise attack must be expected soon. On July 6th, General Hossbach came, and together with Muhlenkamp, to see the swamps had dried up so much that a general attack by the enemy had to be expected. Furthermore, increasing tank noises had been heard from the forest southwest of Makijau in recent nights. The enemy was believed to be massing strong armored forces there.
0: They didn't think this Makijau was going to be a battle area because it was swampy. And, you know, they're like, oh, you're going to be fine. You know, they can't get through there. But the swamp area, the mud and everything started drying up so much that 100 meters a day and then... You're out there and you're listening to the T-34s and KV-1s and IS-2s ro- rolling around, and you can hear gas trucks coming up, and you're like, um, G- "General, they're they're gonna hit us." And they're like, "Well, you need to hold here because uh, we're digging in and waiting for them to come and attack the infantry." And he's like, "Uh, wait, you want us to wait for their all their armor? Ooh boy, what do you think the enemy will try, Mullan Camp?"
1: The commanding general asked the battle group commander, and he responded by saying, I expect that the enemy will try to break through, and that would explain the strong concentration of tanks opposite our front. Afterwards, the enemy will try to close the circle around our entire army, therefore request that I be allowed to redirect my tanks, which might be simply overrun here to more favorable position. And General Hossbach replied by, well,
0: we'll see. He, this General Hossbach is asking, Molenkamp, what do you think? And he's like, what? there's tons of armored forces over there. And they're like, well, you hear noises, but that could be a trick. And he goes, no, they're coming. They're gonna circle us. So you need to let me move to a better position where I can use my Panther tanks as sniper tanks as the Soviets come up. Let me move back to the hills in the forest and wait for them to come across the swamp and let me shoot at them and he says well we'll we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens well yeah. we all know mullen camp was like yeah, no uh, I, i'm gonna do it anyway so mullen he actually moved his
1: panzers into the back slope position in the makijal area anyway and this was his only chance of stopping the expected by the enemy. So basically, he,
0: when the general drove off and said, "Oh, yeah. we'll see," he's like, "You know what? I, I'm not going to let my guys die. I'm mm-hmm. gonna, I'm, I'm gonna move." So he did it
1: on July seventh. The commander of the eighth had been the first to spot the seventeen heavy tanks, and following infantry which had set off from the woods from the south, and his order was to all tanks, fire at will. The first armor-piercing shells were fired at the enemy. Several Russian tanks were disabled with track and road wheel damage, while others caught fire before they could open fire on the defenders' favorable favorable positions. The surviving Soviet tanks pulled back.
0: He disobeyed orders. He moved his troops back into the woods, camoed them out, and when these Soviets' initial assault tanks came out he smoked them he he shot them all up and then they had to fall back and they're like uh they went back and told the soviet commander hey they, they're there they're in the tree lines and now the so- main force of the
1: soviet tanks which is more than 400 vehicles attacked masajal and they
0: rolled up to the panthers waiting in their hold down position they get back and there's 400 soviet tanks back there in armored vehicles so they're, they're ready, they're, here's the big push. So they're gonna move up, and these Panthers are hauled down, loaded up with armor piercing, and at range, and there's no cover for these Soviets. But the Soviets are told, go, go, go. The tank
1: commanders and gunners could scarcely believe their eyes when they saw this seemingly endless mass of steel. A second late, seconds later, Mirlenkamp heard and saw the flash of gunfire, and soon the first Soviet tank was in flames. All tanks open fire, maximum rate of fire, aim carefully. The Panthers in the hold-down position fired their 75mm guns almost simultaneously, and after the first salvo, the battlefield resembled a huge junkyard. Dozens of enemy tanks lay on the planes, shot up, burning, ammunition exploding. Then the second salvo went out, inflicting the same devastation, and soon, 50 of the 400 enemy tanks were in flames or disabled wrecks. Wow. They're laying some serious firepower down. The Panthers fired for 30 minutes, and for 30 minutes, the Soviet tanks attempted to escape. They rolled into ravines, but were pursued and knocked out. When the sound of battle ebbed, 103 enemy tanks, including some of the newest and heaviest types, lay destroyed on the battlefield. So,
0: uh, when the battle was, you know, kind of ending... There was a hundred and three enemy tanks that they had just shot pieces out of their four hundred. That's a pretty big loss. Somebody yeah, it is. Somebody's gonna have to go back to the Kremlin and talk to, you know, Stalin about that. Or or get shot in the back of the head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: Muhlenkamp's report of the destruction of 103 enemy tanks appears to have met with disbelief from General Hossbach, for he sent Lieutenant Peter Sauerbach to count the knocked-out tanks on the battlefield. When the officer was finished, he had counted 103 wrecks. He went into the woods the Soviets retreated to and found at least 150 more enemy tanks had been damaged in this duel of armor and had sought shelter in the forest.
0: The general gets the report. Hey, uh, uh, Muhlenkamp backed up he basically didn't disobey. He he just kind of went ahead and did it on his own. And he says, yeah, uh, I just engaged a huge force. And I've got 103 burning tanks out here and probably more damaged out in the woods. And he's like, yeah. So he sends his secretary, basically one of his little lieutenants down there. And he goes, you know what? Count these dead tanks. And so this uh, Peter Sautenbrock or whatever starts getting the clipboard and he's sitting there counting out and he's like "Uh, there's 103 and they're like well we need to go in the forest he counts another 150 so there's there's 253 damaged or destroyed tanks out of 400 so what did he find in the woods besides that the soviet
1: regimental commander of one of these units was found in his shot up tank they found on him was a situation map on which was marked the main direction of the russian tank attack Soviet tank units had been ordered to drive through as quickly as possible and at all costs seize the sole still intact bridge over the river Bug at Mankijau and establish a bridgehead for the infantry on the far side.
0: They weren't even thinking about the bridge. They're like, okay, we're not even thinking about the bridge. So, But the Soviets were like, hey, this is one of the last standing bridges. I want you to take these 400 tanks, charge through there, Force that bridge, secure that bridge, so I can get my infantry across. They send all these 400 right into a panther trap that's just sitting there, not moving. The just perfect things for a panther: hole down, behind camouflage, and, and just sitting there shooting, and killed 253 tanks. Plus, the re, the regimental commander is sitting there with all the plans. And he's all shot up, and this, you know, uh, secretary or lieutenant that they sent out there walks up with a bunch of them, and they're like, um, this is the Soviet commander, and here's the plans. Uh, good job there, guy. Had the Soviets
1: actually succeeded in accomplishing this, the entire 4th Panzer Army would have more than likely been lost. camp had adverted this threat with his tactical chess move, and inflicted a severe blow on the enemy. He had saved Kaval and the German front there for his feet He was recommended for the oak leaves. And he was awarded the coveted decoration on September 29th in 1944. So he saved the
0: day. And, and this is a battle that you never hear about. And, and you're talking about a major tank battle where 253 tanks were just shot up. And, you know, the Soviets were try- ordered to force through there. And these Panthers didn't have to run you know, move anywhere. They just sat there and sniped these tanks and laid it out for thirty minutes and did that kind of devastation. So even though people say the Panther tank had tons of problems, good lord, that that tank laid it down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That battle they they won huge. Just like always
1: Mention how you can get a hold of us with your comments or suggestions. Two tankers and a Cat at gmail.com is our email address. Remember, you can always find us on Facebook. Uh, just search for Two Tankers and Cat Podcast in the search bar on Facebook. Give us a like on there. I know we've been growing on Facebook quite a bit here lately. Like to see that. Like to see more of y'all get on there and give us a like and follow what we put on there and don't forget about our www.2tankersandcat.com website repeating 2tankersandcat.com and we update that every so often with some new information and pretty much links to everywhere we can be found
0: and we've been doing a lot a lot of live streaming like we said um we've been li- live streaming on Facebook and on Twitch um I'm going to try to get some of the famous Twitch stars like Sophie and Rita and some others to kind of help me with uh, some of the stuff on Twitch I'm having problems with, like music, because most people don't want to listen to me talk.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I know music on Twitch can be tricky too, because there's a lot of copyright issues with that. Absolutely. Well, until next time, this is Charlie. And this is Russell. And as always, happy tanking and have a great week.